Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary dw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details hello and welcome into brewcast from maize and brew on the sb nation podcast network here with you on Wednesday night, March 30th, releasing this one on Friday, April 1st. No, no April Fool's Day here. We are going to be kind of saying goodbye to the Michigan basketball season for the 2021-2022 season. A eulogy, if you will. Luke Yardy and Scotty White here with you and taking a look back on the season that was after Michigan fell to Villanova in the Sweet 16. Scotty White, what's going on, buddy? You, you surviving now that the season is over? Man, it it's tough. I mean, that the time of year where there's no Michigan football or basketball is definitely uh, it's tough to get through. Um, but at least we got the spring game this Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm hanging in there. Um, but I will say I'm excited to to talk about this season. Uh, you know, there were its ups and downs, but it was it was a fun year. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we're going to be uh, focusing primarily on the men's uh, basketball season here. The the women, an amazing season, an amazing run to the Elite Eight. Uh, that will be covered by some other folks here at uh, Maze and Brew. But uh, it, hats off uh, to that team, by the way, as well. Gave up an, an incredible fight against Louisville uh, coming up just a little bit short, man. It was a pleasure to, to watch them, you know, when I could throughout the year. Nas deserves the double zero to get put up in the rafters one day. I will say that before we get into it. 100%. 100%, dude. That was a very fun team to watch. Farthest run uh, in Michigan women's basketball history. Nothing to hang their heads up about, dude. Like you said, they they fought like hell in that game against um, against Louisville at the end. That was a, that was a good game. Um yeah, that was a really fun team to watch. Two, two, two good runs for the basketball teams this year. Absolutely. So the Michigan basketball season just 
Giving it a little recap here. Michigan finishes 19-15 and 15 overall. They went 17-14 and 14 in the regular season plus Big Ten tournament. A couple of wins in the NCAA tournament over Colorado State and Tennessee before falling to Villanova 63-55, though Michigan uh, made the Sweet 16 for the fifth consecutive tournament. Some nice wins in there as well. Beat Ohio State and Michigan State, which is, of course, Always a pretty good year when you get to beat those two teams in the same season. Wins over Iowa and Purdue as well. Um, you know, it, it, the season was what it was. It was up and down, Scotty. It was a bit of a roller coaster ride. I can't, I, I still, to this day, it's all over, and I can't really put my thumb on exactly what the season was. Yeah, dude, it was, it, I mean, it certainly was not what we expected going in, obviously. Uh, preseason. Number six, I believe, got all the way up to number four at one point. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is hard to really to say whether the season was successful or not. Um, but, I mean, dude, there was there were some great moments. Um, I had fun. I'm very sad that the season's over. Um, and, hey, at least, at least Michigan made the tournament, and there was still a Sweet 16 run. Michigan went farther than any team in the Big Ten. Um, so when you're debating whether or not the season's a success and you went just as far as any other team in the conference, I'd say that your program's in pretty good shape. Yeah, and that's the big question, right? Was this a successful season? And, man, it is. that is a really hard question to answer this it year is. because I think there are two phases, right? Um, there, there are two separate questions being asked when you say that. Because was the season successful based on the preseason expectations? I think that gets a no. Um, because they were, uh, you know, top 5-16 in the preseason. We previewed this team coming into the year, and we had high expectations. We were thinking national championship at the beginning of this year. You know, you, you have Hunter Dickinson returning. You have... Eli Brooks returning. You bring in Devontae Jones from Coastal Carolina, who was the player of the year in his conference a year ago. You bring in the number one recruiting class in the country, and the expectations are sky high. Um, and we thought that the defense was going to be elite, like it was a year ago, given the athletic pieces that they were bringing in with Musa and Caleb and Frankie Collins and Kobe Bufkin. I mean, these are all top 100 guys, top 50 guys. And the defense was a vast disappointment regard like like it doesn't even matter from the the point of reference the the defense was a vast disappointment here this year but overall um from a preseason expectation standpoint Scotty I think it was a disappointment uh here this year they fell short of our expectations however the one thing that we learned particularly in football season right Scotty is that expectations change now now if Michigan would have lost to Ohio State football in that last regular season game of the year. Based on preseason expectations, it still would have been a successful season. But the expectation, you know, particularly after the Penn State game and so forth, was now you got to beat Ohio State and go win a Big Ten championship, and they were able to, to do that. So expectations change, and this is kind of the reverse side of that, I think, in my mind anyway, in the sense that the expectation after losing their third straight game and losing to Illinois on January 14th, the expectation was this is not a very good basketball team. Are they even going to make the NIT at this point? They win four of their next five, lost to Michigan State, 
lost to Purdue, and then you're still like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's a little bit iffy right now. Then they blow Purdue out of the water. They beat Iowa on the road. They run Michigan State off the floor and beat Ohio State. Hey, this team looks like they're going to get into the NCAA tournament. That's a heck of a turnaround. Then you blow a 17-point second half lead to Indiana. And then you get into the tournament, and hey, we're just happy to be here, right? Like, that's kind of how we felt. We felt relieved. I Like, when we talked about it, I was almost positive Michigan was in the dance. I didn't sweat Selection Sunday as much as a lot of people. But to win two games and to reach a Sweet 16, like, as the expectations changed after the January 14th loss to Illinois, successful season when the expectations change. So I think I look at it from two different viewpoints here, Scotty. From the preseason standpoint, absolutely not. This is not a successful season. From where they were after January 14th and what they were able to do down the stretch, make another Sweet 16, a successful season there. So I think it's kind of a two-headed answer. Yeah, dude, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much the exact answer. Like, yeah, if you told me, back in November before the season started that we're going to go 19 and 14 and losing the sweet 16. I'm thinking, well, shit, dude, I'm expecting a national championship. Like that, that's bad. But then if you go back to, I remember my moment was during the Northwestern game. I'm, I'm at Chrysler covering the game and with about four or five minutes left, Michigan's down by seven. And I'm thinking, wow, this is this is real. We're really not going to make the tournament. That's when I kind of convinced myself that, you know, this this loss is what's going to do it. Um, And I kind of do this sometimes for uh, hoping to jinx it. And I guess it worked in that instance. But I I I started typing up, typed my title on the article. Michigan falls at home to Northwestern. Um, And then they they luckily got a little run in them, found a way to win that game. Um, But if someone told me at that point during that Northwestern game, Michigan's going to beat three seed Tennessee to go to the sweet 16, then I'm thinking, wow, this, this is a great turnaround. This is a successful season. Um, And yeah, I mean, the way that the team started and, and the way that they finished, they really got a lot better as the season went on. Obviously there were the inconsistencies. um, But I mean, like you said, man, the way they were playing in November, December, and then to be able to come out and win two games in the NCAA tournament and make a sweet 16, that's impressive, and I would say that is a success. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally agree. From from the expectations in the preseason, no, it was not successful. Um, but seeing where they were and where they ended up, I would say that is a success. And just to put it into perspective, where they were after that Illinois loss, and I know they were without Hunter Dickinson in that game, and they were dealing with some COVID stuff and things like that, they were 7-7. Seven and seven. Their best win was at home to San Diego State, and their second best win was against UNLV. Like, they were staring at the abyss, man. At that moment, it, after that game and where they stood then, I didn't even know if they were an NIT team. So to yeah. see what they were able to accomplish down the stretch, and they had to backload a lot of those big games and the tough games to play back-to-back in a lot of games in a short amount of days against some really good competition. That's why I really don't understand the... Um, you know, when people talk about it, right, and they're like, oh, they, they ducked these games like it was more beneficial to play them when they did. Like, no way. That was a daunting schedule. Think about this. They went Purdue, Penn State, Purdue, Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Illinois, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio State. That's how they ended their season. 
Damn, dude, that is insane. <laughs> That's how they ended their season. When you go and look back at it, it's unreal. From February to early March was an absolute gauntlet for this team. And what they were able to kind of figure out down the stretch and win the games that they needed to, it was really a remarkable turnaround. But one, at the end of the day, we also have to put it in the context that it was what was expected of them. That second half, and and probably even less than what we expected of them because we we probably felt they should have won a couple of those games that they ended up losing – at the beginning of the year, the preseason expectations. But we didn't expect them after that Illinois game when they were 7-7 seven and seven, to ever beat per- Purdue. Probably weren't no. going to go on the road and, and beat Iowa. You know, no way you're going to go on the road and beat Ohio State or even beat Michigan State at that point, who, who was a top-10 team at one point here this year. And they were able to find a way to do it and rack up the wins that they needed to to go into the NCAA tournament. And then you knock off a higher seed at Colorado State, even though you're a favorite in the game. But then you beat a Tennessee team who, mind you, I mean, you go look at their run at the end, not only just winning the SEC tournament, I mean, and and winning it rather easily, a seven-point win over Kentucky was the, the closest thing. I mean, go look at their February. They had one loss on the resume from February 1st until they played Michigan on March 19th, and it was a 10-point loss to Arkansas, who ended up going to the Elite Eight. Tennessee was as hot as anyone in the country, and Michigan was able to win that game. I don't give a damn about the Rick Barnes thing or anything like that. It's tough to win in the NCAA tournament, man. And so for them to turn it around from where they did, awesome, awesome job. A a fun ride down the stretch. Uh, Just unfortunately, like we said, uh, the, the expectations were there, and, and honestly, the expectations were set by them a year ago in the recruiting class that they had, so it, it's not like we put any unfair pressure or expectations on them or anything like that. They set it with their culture a year ago, and at the end of the day, if you if you make it into the tournament and you go to the Sweet 16 and that ultimately ends up being not exactly a successful season, I think your program's in pretty good shape. Yeah, dude, totally, and I mean... That Tennessee win, dude, like they were one of the hottest teams in the country. How they were even a three seed, I, I have no idea. Um, and Duke being a two, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. Um, but, I mean, I, I was picking Tennessee to win in a lot of my brackets, dude. Like, Tennessee is a really good team. I don't care if Rick, like you said, I don't care if Rick Barnes has struggled in March. Tennessee was a really good team. They were one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, and it just really shows how talented Michigan could be. And that was really one of the things that was so frustrating about the Villanova game is obviously Michigan had their inconsistencies this year. And, but the thing is when Michigan was playing and had, and had bad games during the regular season, they weren't getting good looks and missing them. The offense was stagnant. They were forcing up shots. They weren't getting good looks. And that Villanova game, they were getting great looks. They were getting to the free throw line. They just were not capitalizing. Too many miss. I mean, they just make a couple of those layups and some of those free throws, and they win that game. And that's that's what that's what really stings, man. Yeah, I mean, we could potentially be talking about Michigan having gone and played in the Elite Eight, or potentially the the Final Four. Though I, I don't think uh, their defense would have been able to to hold Houston quite like uh, uh, Villanova's was. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that was a big part of it. But uh, it, we'll never know. And you know, it was a good run. It was a fun run for Michigan. But um, you know, like we said. A, a tournament appearance at Sweet 16 run, if that ends up being 
considered a disappointment. Look forward to the years to come, that's for sure, because I remember when that would have been the best season in my lifetime. So, um, you know, they're in in good shape right now as we take a look back on the year. Uh, This one is pretty obvious, but just want to talk about it. Team MVP, I'd imagine we we probably are, are thinking of the same guy for this one, Scotty. I would assume so, minus Hunter Dickinson. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, uh, 18.6 points, 8.6 boards a game, and I think about it, man, and there were times this year, Scotty, where I watched this team and somehow finding ways to win and it all revolving around Hunter Dickinson, and I thought back to the offseason where he did test the NBA waters and where this team would have been without Hunter Dickinson this year. And I, I can't even imagine it. Yeah, dude, that would have been rough. I mean, he, he really was the only consistent scorer on the team. Um, you know, he, he, could, he had very few games where he wasn't just going off. I mean, that Tennessee game, dude, I mean, he, he, was, he was in his zone for that. I mean, he, he, he kind of won Michigan that game. Eli Brooks obviously was huge, too. Um, but I think Hunt had 27 in that one. He was locked in. Um, he added that three-point touch to his to his game this year, man. That was fun. That Purdue game on the road, Michigan obviously lost it, but he was he was knocking down all of his outside shots there. He's just such a fun player to watch, man. Oh my goodness, man. He, I think he really grew into a leadership role too at, at, towards the second half of the season, and I think that was a big reason for why. Um, Michigan was able to to do what they did, you know, in the kind of that second half slate and make the run to the tournament and make a run to the Sweet Sixteen. Is it felt like, and I don't I I don't know how to say this because I, I don't mean this in, in a negative way or anything like that. You know, it, I I want to say he it it looked and felt like he was playing with more passion, but that sounds like he wasn't playing with passion before, and I don't think that's the case at all. I what I I guess what I'm trying to convey is. He really, when he was out there, man, it was straight determination that he was going to put this team on his back and win or lose, man, it was gonna it was either gonna rise or it was gonna fall with him. And I think that really vaulted the team to the next level because I, I mean, I, I do think at, at times earlier in the first half of the year he was trying to get teammates more involved. He was playing with a bunch of new guys. I knew he knew they were talented, but he had never played with Devontae Jones or Frankie Collins or Caleb Houston or Musa Diabate or anything like that. So I think there was an acclimation period. I don't think he, he necessarily wanted to, you know, be hogging all the touches and, you know, have a, a crazy usage rate because he wanted to make those guys better. But I also think at some point when he returned from the COVID, he understood it wasn't working. And the only way that Michigan was going to make the NCAA tournament is if he really put the team on his back and everyone kind of able was able to follow suit and fall in line from there. And I think that's exactly what happened towards that second half of the season. Yeah, no, I agree. He did. He he he, he took it to another level. And, and I totally get what you mean with, uh, with, with the passion, too. Like, he's obviously been uh, a very passionate player. But you could see that second half of the season, you know, he was embracing that villain role. I mean, it was on full display against uh, against Purdue, against Michigan State, especially. I mean, that was just awesome seeing him chirping to the to the state bench <laughs> after every bucket, dude. I loved that. That was so fun to watch. 
Uh, so yeah, I totally get you mean. Like he's always passionate. He just like took it to an even further level towards the end of the season. And and, and another perfect cancellation of that too, right? Is you know after the the Tennessee big, uh, kind of gave him the too small gesture, and then it was all downhill for the Volunteers from then on. Dude, that was like my favorite part watching the replay of that game. I thought that was hilarious. That dude had like nine points or something and then Hunt dunked on him the next possession. That was awesome. So how about your newcomer of the year? Person who came into the program, player who came into the program uh, for the first time here this year. That one was a little bit tougher. You know, obviously Michigan had uh, some talented freshmen, um, but I'm going to go with Frankie Collins here. Um, I just... I really liked the way that Frankie changed the game when he came in. I mean, he always came in with a lot of energy um, on both sides of the floor. Uh, he was great at, ru- at running the offense. Um, obviously, you know, he's got his things to work on. Um, he's really good around the rim, but he struggles with outside shooting and free throw shooting. Um, but I thought that he was more consistent than like Caleb Houston and, and Musa Diabate. And I thought that Frankie really came up in a huge role. Like he stepped up so big in the tournament, like coming in for his first starts um, when Devontae Jones was out. I mean, that was extremely impressive. Um, So I gave my newcomer of the year to Frankie Collins. Yeah. I'm going to go with Devontae Jones on this one because it was, um, it it was a rough start. There's no question about it. I think there was a big acclimation period uh, for him. It was obviously a, a step up in competition from Coastal Carolina, though I'm not necessarily sure that was exactly it, but I'm guessing it was much more so a new system, new teammates, you know, maybe didn't have as free of rain at Michigan as he did at, at uh, Coastal Carolina. So it, it was an acclimation period, but when the team went, you could tell Devontae Jones was, you know, it went Hunter Dickinson and then Devontae Jones. Like, I think in the second half of the Ohio State game when Devontae, that was one of the games where Hunter didn't put the team on his back. Devontae Jones did, you know, that, and then yeah. that was the game that ultimately sealed their fate to get them into the NCAA tournament. And he was second half of the year, man. He really turned it on in a lot of games, and it was, it was great to see. He turned into the player that we really expected to see. He embraced Michigan, kind of almost like Shondi Brown last year. You know what I'm saying? Like, just em- embraced everything about it. Bought into the culture, bought into the team, wanted to get to the NCAA tournament, and then gets a concussion that week. Can't even play against Colorado State. Comes back and goes out for the entire second half against Tennessee. Finally gets a play in the Sweet 16. I mean, Devontae Jones, it... It really was a pleasure to have you know him come in and uh, see what he was able to do, particularly down the stretch of the season. My newcomer of the year uh, was Devontae Jones. How about your player that you will be most sad to see go, Scotty White? That one is going to be Eli Brooks. I remember back when I was in high school watching, I believe this was my senior year of high school, um, watching Eli Brooks for the first time. It was a exhibition game against Grand Valley State, I believe. Um, and he got some minutes and he knocked down a couple threes. And I, I remember telling my friend, I was like, dude, he is going to be a really good three point shooter in the, in the future. Um, and obviously it took Brooks a few years to, to get, you know, consistent playing time, but he waited for his time and, and he ended up being, I mean, dude, he's like the winning it, winningest player, um, in, in for Michigan basketball. Um, he, he's just such a good leader. 
he had some huge games like against Tennessee, man. You could just tell he's not ready for his career to come to an end. Um, and he's just so good at running the offense. He's a great shooter. Uh, I loved having Eli Brooks on the Michigan basketball team, and I'm going to miss him very much next year. You and I are on the same page here, Scotty White. I also have Eli Brooks as my player I'm most sad to see go. Now, it wasn't always, you know, cake and ice cream with Eli Brooks from my perspective. I remember the first couple of years, the 17-18 and 18-19 seasons. I thought there was no way that Eli Brooks was going to be able to, to be a Big Ten player. I really didn't. Hand up. I was obviously very, very wrong about that. <laughs> but But when I saw him out there... I mean, he and, he, and the thing was, he, he didn't get a lot of attempts from three, but he also, and that goes along into it, but he shot 24% and 29% in his first two years from deep, right? And I'm thinking, man, this guy's like 6'1". He's kind of scrawny. He was scrawny back in those days, you know? I didn't really, you know, I knew he was a little bit athletic, but was he athletic enough to compete in the Big Ten? And if he's not docking, knocking down shots, how was he going to be able to play in this conference, you know? And then to see the player, you know, that he turned into really starting with his third year, his, his junior year in the 1920 season and, and getting 30-plus minutes a game, man, and seeing the corner that he was able to turn, it was remarkable, uh, to be quite honest with you. And I believe, Scotty, to your point, uh, I believe, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, that he is the only player in NCAA history uh, to be on or to play in five consecutive sweet 16s because they do not count redshirt years for that uh so and obviously the covid year uh, is the only thing that made that possible but five straight sweet 16s eli brooks was able to play in and uh colorado state tennessee i mean you you think of those games that he had that he just really didn't want it to be his last collegiate game that you could just kind of tell, right? You know, especially right. Tennessee. Dude yep. poured in 23, shot two of five from deep, hit some big free throws, had five assists. He was unreal in that game. The hook shot, get, a little, hook Zay- shot, get a little Xavier Simpson <laughs> out here, you know? Um, that was awesome. I mean, he, he was a pleasure, pleasure to watch. And he's another guy, uh, actually, Scotty, that, that I, I mentioned, you know, I was like, man, what what if what would this team have looked like if Hunter Dickinson didn't come back? I think very much the same could be said about Eli Brooks and and the senior uh-huh. leadership and that he was able to bring to this team and implant hopefully on the young guys a, a little bit and you know play the way he did down the stretch of some games and I I I don't think they make the tournament if Eli Brooks doesn't come back for another year as well so. I, it's going to be really sad to see him go, man. Eli Brooks, he just incredible charisma. Seemed like he always had a smile on his face. I mean, just a lot of fun to, to watch over the last five years. Yeah, dude, he's been awesome. I mean, like last year, man, the LSU game, he had some big threes. It's so fun to watch. He's just such a smart player, too, you know? I remember, I forget which game this was, uh, maybe Michigan State or Purdue, but Juwan in the – Definitely wasn't Michigan State because Juwan wasn't at the post game for that one. Um, but Juwan, one of the post game press conferences, said, "I will always have a coaching position open for Eli Brooks." And I mean, obviously, that says a lot about a player. They call him the professor for a reason. He's just such a smart player. He knows the right place to make. Um, and even when he's not scoring, you know, he's still having such a big effect on the game, and that's why he's such a great player. He also might have my favorite layup package that I've ever seen. Man, his like a lot of his stuff is super unorthodox, but he's able to get it to go. I there's times he, he takes off, and I'm like, there is no way he's gonna make this, and then he does. 
You know, that's what he, I thought about the hook shot against Tennessee, man. I mean, that uh, he hit. What game was it? Villain, or I mean, was it uh, Colorado State or Tennessee where he he got an and one? Was, was it the Tennessee game where he got it, the and one? I think one? it was yeah. the Tennessee game. Yeah, and and that was a, what looked like to be kind of a, a floater layup. You know, he yeah. he was he was really good with the left hand, but going off the the opposite foot, going off the left foot instead of the right foot to kind of use an extra shield against the defenders. I mean, his his layup package is unorthodox, but man, does it work. And it, just little stuff like that that I think I'm going to miss from Eli Brooks. And I got a feeling, and because I still talk about Muhammad Ali Abdur-Rahman and how the team at times over the last couple of years has really not had a guy like that who could seemingly get you a bucket you know, when you need it most. I've got a feeling I'm going to look back on Eli Brooks in sort of the same sense. Yeah, I totally agree, man. He does. He does remind me a lot of Mar. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, if we were talking about this in the 2018 team, um, Mar, I mean, oh, I mean, that team was just stacked, but man, I miss watching him play too. So we're going to be sad to see Eli Brooks go. Who are you most looking forward to watch to watch next year? So this one's kind of tough because, you know, we don't really know, right. know the fate with, uh, with, with Dickinson, Musa, and Caleb. Um, but I do know that we will be seeing Frankie Collins next year. Uh, he was my newcomer of the year, and he's also the player that I'm looking forward to watching the most next year because, dude, I mean, he just has so much potential. He's so good handling the ball. Um, and, you know, he's only going to get better during this offseason. Like, like I said earlier, like he, he had a struggle shooting outside um and shooting shooting the free throws which obviously especially the free throws like you know you're you're a point guard like you got to make your free throws um you know having a guy like like trey burke who can who can knock down a lot of threes won't hurt too um but i'm just so excited to see what he can do in the offseason because i think he was already a really special player and he showed that a lot in the ncaa tournament coming into a huge role and stepping up big time and I think he's going to have a great offseason. He's going to be a really special player next year, and I can't wait to see it. I'm 100% with you on Frankie Collins. He's also the player I'm most looking forward to watching next year. I mean, I so Frankie obviously didn't get probably the playing time that we expected him to get this year, and that's credit to Devontae Jones uh, as well. And, you know, Frankie trying to acclimate himself to, to the collegiate game, which – it's it had to have been harder this year for a, a freshman than in most years because you've still got the COVID year guys. I mean, you're playing against guys yeah. that are five or six years older than you, you know. Yeah. It, it, whereas that's generally not the case. So it, it was probably tough for him to get adjusted a little bit. But when they needed him most, and they turned to him in the opening round of the NCAA tournament because Devontae Jones was out the concussion, and he went out there and played 31 minutes and he scored 14 points. He had just one turnover in 31 minutes against Colorado State. I mean, what he was able to do in that game, and then again against Tennessee, he didn't have, you know, the the flashy points. He had two points, but again, he only had two turnovers in 30 minutes. And and that was against a Tennessee team that put on the press in the second half as well. I mean, I think Frankie, and I don't want to, you know, compare him to anyone. I don't think he's necessarily going to be Trey Burke because he doesn't have the, the jumper, but... I, I think, it, you know, Derek Walton was able to to get himself a much better jumper in his later years and kind of hit that pull-up three a lot more consistently. If if Frankie can add something like that to the game, his game, because he can get to the rim like maybe no one we've seen in quite some time 
in the maize and blue. And his court vision and his playmaking ability is through the roof off the charts. I am really excited to see the leap Frankie Collins can make with a year in Ann Arbor and a year at Camp Sanderson. I'm very excited to see Frankie Collins next year. Yeah, dude, it's going to be awesome. Um, and, and the not turning the ball over was just so big. I mean, Michigan was really struggling with that too. Um, and if he had been struggling with it as well, like his teammates, Michigan may not have even gotten past Colorado State. So, I mean, that's just so important. He's one of those guys where I can see him being like Eli Brooks, where even when he's not scoring a lot of points, he's still a very effective player because he's smart and he takes care of the ball. And those turnovers were, were very frustrating to watch during the tournament. And having somebody like that who's smart with the ball and takes care of it is, is very refreshing to see. So now this last one, Scotty White, it, it was a tough one. And this was a little bit interesting. Favorite moment of the year? Yeah, this is tough. I've, I've got my top three, which, um, which are the, the Purdue home game, the Michigan home game, or the Michigan State home game, um, and the Tennessee game. Um, but I, I'm going to go with the, the moment that brought me the most joy um, was that Tennessee game, and specifically when, when Eli Brooks hit that. Um, that hook shot because that's kind of when I was like all right four point lead late like holy shit we might win this yeah uh and dude I mean like this whole season I I was not expecting a run to the sweet 16 and we talked about it a couple weeks ago just that second weekend feeling is just so good and I just was not expecting to get that feeling I had even convinced myself during the Tennessee game that it was over when Michigan went down by six later in the second half um just like getting that win just made me so happy. Um, and that shot from Brooks was just incredible. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with that as my favorite moment of the year. I love it, man. That, that was a great one. Bringing out the little Xavier Simpson hook shot. Um, mine, my favorite moment of the year was late in the Ohio state game and Kobe Bufkin hitting the three from the right wing to essentially seal the win in Columbus. Kobe Bufkin, top 100 guy, probably didn't get the the minutes in the run that he expected to here this year. Played pretty sporadically. But for him to be in the game in that moment, Scotty, and for him to step up and hit a major shot when it was crunch time and you're trying to stop the bleeding, you're trying to seal the deal and punch your ticket to the NCAA tournament, and he hits that shot, I mean remarkable, remarkable stuff to, to step up and have the cojones in that moment to step up and hit that shot. And I knew it right then and there that Michigan was going to the NCAA tournament. Didn't have a, a, a dream in my mind that Michigan was going to the Sweet 16. But that moment right there, I, I had so much jubilation, you know, because the season was a grind up to that point. Are they going to get in? Are they not? This kid, you know, with all the expectations coming in, doesn't get the playing time that he probably thought he was going to, but for him to step up in that moment and hit that shot, man, truly remarkable. Dude, that was awesome. That's that is that's a great moment. I mean, and that's right after Devontae Jones gets hurt. Yes. After a bucket. And for some reason, play doesn't get stopped. No idea why. It's those Columbus refs. But and then Ohio State goes down with five on four, hits a three, cuts the lead to four. And I'm thinking, oh my God. You're like, here, here we go. go another heartbreaker 
and he comes dude that was cold-blooded on the road that that was awesome i was i was actually in a in a coffee shop watching that game on my laptop um and i got i got very loud in that coffee shop <laughs> they take <laughs> you out or what <laughs> no they didn't but i got some looks i got some looks. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, some great moments there. And that's the thing we got to remember from this season, right, is, you know what, it's it's almost akin, though, it doesn't have nearly the the, the expectations or, or the season didn't, the, uh, the DJ Wilson year when they made the run of the Sweet 16, obviously they didn't have near um, the, the six, or preseason expectations that this team had, but a similar trajectory uh, to this season, I think, uh, for, for this team. So who knows what will happen next year, but... Always remember the good moments from the year, Scotty. Definitely, man. It, like I said earlier, there were a lot of ups and downs, but, I mean, dude, it's a Sweet 16 run. And like I said, if if, if people are thinking that a Sweet 16 run is not successful, then that that tells you where the program is. And Michigan, the Michigan basketball program is in great shape, and I'm excited uh, for the team going forward. I am as well. I am. I, I don't think they're going to be a top five preseason team next year, but I think there's going to be plenty of talent on the roster to be a top five team by the end of the year next year. We will see, though. We'll see what happens this offseason. Just know I'm looking forward to the, the basketball season next year. That's going to wrap it up for us here, and that's going to wrap it up for us on the 2021-2022 Michigan men's basketball campaign. Scotty, where can we find you on social media? You guys can find me on Twitter. You can give me a follow at Scotty White underscore. Um, now that basketball is over, uh, I'm currently just doing baseball. Um, so I'll be posting all my stuff there. Um, but hey, football's coming back up again. Spring game on Saturday. I'll be writing about that. Uh, so you can give me a follow at Scotty White underscore on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D. I uh, go follow me on Twitter for that. Follow me on or follow us on the Brewcast Show page at Brewcast Show, and you can of course follow the main account at Maze and Brew. That's going to wrap it up for us here today. Subscribe, rate, leave a review, and don't forget we got a plenty of shows uh, for the Maze and Brew podcast. So subscribe, you get all the podcasts, all the great shows uh, that you love, and subscribe to the YouTube page as well. We're going to be starting that back up in the fall once football season comes around. Get some live shows going. Uh, that'll be a whole lot of fun. In the meantime, I know Blue by Ninety uh, doing a lot of great videos up there for you. So for Scotty White, I'm Luke Giardi, and we'll see you next week on Brewcast. <laughs>